Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello and welcome. This week in production, I'm back in the editing suite, but I have a live in-person guest. Welcome back to This Week in Production, Christian Schlicht. Hey Art, thanks for having me. So we were um, conversing a few weeks ago about a a job that you were very excited to uh, embark on. And the job, while seemed to me from my, you know, 30 plus five year eyes seemed a little off. Um, you know, it, it's had good optics initially, but then it went south. And you've agreed to share some of the details. We're going to leave the exact names out to protect the guilty. But we're going to dissect what happened and uh, what we've learned or what you've learned in the process. Certainly. We're just going to have a little pre-podcast uh, sip of uh, Don Julio 70 just to get the uh, the juices flowing. Take me back to, I guess, the first point in which you heard about the job. So April 15th, I got a call from a producer, colleague of mine out of Boston, about this this kind of a last minute job he he said it was a it was he said it was a last minute gig and uh basically a a streaming network whose name i'll leave out uh was in product about to begin production on their pilot season of a new reality show i don't have any experience in tv so i said this is let's just check another box and keep the career going um the position was an essential member on a di or an editing crew and he basically needed someone on the ground to oversee the transferring of dailies proxies and then project files from the team in production down in south florida back to his editing team in new england and i am so so this gentleman was going to be he wasn't the producer of the show but he was what was his position in the show? His position in the show was post-production supervisor. And he asked me to be his on-the-ground hands DIT data wrangler, which I love to do anyway. So I said, this is a great opportunity. Meet new people and practice my craft. Sounded good. So take me through then, you know, the the events that preceded this uh, initial phone call you were very excited about. You know, he did he send you uh, a deal memo? Did you get any uh, job offer in writing? Well, like what what transpired from that initial phone call? So from him, it basically went to uh, it, it's last minute, so we have to book our flights now down. And I hired my friend to split the job with me right down the middle. It was a ten week production period, straight start to finish. I was going to do the first half. My friend was going to do the second half. So we booked our flights. And the next point of contact I had was a 15-person production meeting via Zoom um, with the director, producer, writer, and all the way down to like the one of the PAs I think they actually had on that Zoom call. 
Now, the, the person that's hiring, the post supervisor, like you had obviously worked with him before, but and you obviously had a level of trust. But like, what was the how often have you worked with him? Let's put it that way. I've done two jobs with him in the past year and they both went super well and super successful and they looked great. He edited that both of them. And I just, you know, I had good juju. So there was no, nothing about him calling you for this job that seemed like, oh, you know, there should be some caution here. You felt comfortable with him. You felt comfortable with the circumstances. And, you know, you basically agreed to, to do the job. You booked a flight and then you had a phone call with the, the producer. Yep. No, there was off the, the first week of having this on my radar. There was no red flags really thrown at me. I'd say. So when was the first sort of like your hair is sticking up a little bit on the back of your neck? The first time I realized that something might not be right here was when we had booked our flights and hotels in Key West, Florida. And I learned the next day that the production team and crew were staying in Key Largo. Um, For those who don't know in the Keys, that's a hundred mile difference. One way two-lane road. Actually. We should we should back up. So explain a little bit more about what the circumstances of the of the job were. Like it wasn't just your normal show up on set, you know, offload some media and, you know, go back to your hotel every night. Give me a little bit of, you know, what the job was going to involve specifically. The project was supposed to take place on two large boats, like a 70 and a 90-foot boat, and basically I'd stay on the crew boat and then go over to the cast boat while they were shooting work with the producer and the DP to oversee the offloads, the backing up, the proxying dailies, and then cloud-based transfers to the production team or post-production team in Boston. Now, was the post supervisor giving you basically a plan or was it your job to come up with the method to facilitate the needs? I advocated for myself and my know-how and I said, let me design this the best way I know how. And he, he said, all right, I trust you. So so what was your plan? Let, let's get into some of what you were planning to do to handle your, your job. I work in Premiere. So the plan was to basically create the project file for the lead editor. So that would include ingesting, sorting organizing all in the premiere window and, and this was going to be a premiere based show correct yep we we're going to add in premiere and then virtually I, I what i would have to do is go through or what i wanted to do was go through all of the day's footage cut the fat from from what i thought the lead edit, editor needed from there i would take that we had a whole transcode system we, we tested a few different you know codecs and bit rates and um you're all over the place. <laughs> I just stepped off a flight, so excuse me. And uh, we we tested it on different internet speeds, testing it, you know, in group in chunks of ten megabits to see what would work. What the perfect concoction of proxy size and internet speed would have been for all different scenarios. And then from there, I would transfer him what he needed via Massive IO, which is a cloud-based service yep. that you put me onto, and then overnight him an SSD drive from wherever the boat was docked that evening. So every day you were going to send a drive. Every other day. Every other day you're going to send a drive and then you were going to do some sort of 
uh, proxy cloud-based thing. And <clears throat> forgive my ignorance because I'm not a Premiere editor, thank God. <laughs> but does Premiere have any automation in doing proxies from masters, matching file names, matching code? Does it do that automatically or does that have to be done in a specific custom way? So how I usually do it is I prefer... So to answer your question directly, I'm not entirely sure. I prefer my workflows to use Adobe Media Encoder and then connect proxies in me up in, in Premiere itself. I believe there's some type of setting you can set on ingest to automatically kick it over to Media Encoder and then it can it can you can set the proxies in different places where you would prefer them. So, so but in terms of automation within Premiere, we're actually going to use the massive plugin for that to see how that went and test that out. Right. And then what, so were you supplying your own computers or was production pro providing you a platform to use on this? Red flag number two. Go on. We were promised a Mac pro two Mac pros um, for the boat. 2006 Mac pros. <laughs> Might as well have been. <laughs> No, it was, we were promised two Mac Pros, the cheese grater, as everyone refers to it. And uh, so when I first stepped foot into the production house, it ended up being a MacBook Pro for the first week. Then it was going to be a Mac Pro. I never Drop, saw it. Dropped in by a parachute. Correct. Okay, so you had a plan. You get on the call. You hear that, you know, things are not exactly as you thought they were and you know this is production so stuff does happen okay so you're prepared to go forward despite these wrinkles and we'll just call them their wrinkles i mean look they were. they're they were. all manageable they're all at this point in, in the in the timeline they were just wrinkles they were it wasn't anything that was like oof maybe i shouldn't go down there it was all right i can work with this let's get on the flight and Make this happen. Right. So you fly to Key West. Yep. On a Sunday, I believe. It was a Sunday Sunday afternoon, empty airport. Just you and Sputnik? Me and Sput got to Newark Airport, you know, two hours before. Um, we flew straight down to Key West, and it was beautiful. Never been down there. Blue, crystal crystal clear, blue water, paradise. Um, and we met up with the lead editor who was joining us, uh, the post production supervisor was unable to join us so the three of us had to take the lead it was kind of a last minute choice to have us take the lead down there and represent the, the dp you and spot no the lead editor oh the lead editor i'm yep, sorry of the project of so basically the three of us were representing the post-production team and the lead editor you had not met before you didn't know him no but i i have a close colleague of of mine referred him to me in the past and and spoke highly of him so I knew that he, I knew he had a recommendation behind him before meeting him. So you get there, you meet the lead editor, and you start conversing about the details. I'm assuming. Yep, waiting for a, a communication from the production manager. And was the editor concerned at all about anything, or did he be? Was he like, nope, this is completely normal, and I've I've worked with these people before, and it's all good. He knew none of these people on the te the production team. And he started kind of venting about his concerns about the timeline and turnarounds. 
which were very aggressive and almost wishful thinking in my opinion um because it was like five days shoot two days for edit two days for airing the show like for 10 weeks 22 episodes what it was it was an extremely aggressive timeline was the rate was there a multiple applied to the day rate for such a quick heavy workload i could put it this way to you i bid the absolute highest for my team which was spot and i and it was accepted no no kickback and say hey you know can you adjust here it was just okay and that was almost at first i was like oh great like they have money and then now in hindsight it was a red flag okay so the editors got concerns. You're probably now feeling less confident about the whole thing. What happens next? Believe it or not, we weren't reached out to about the first day of production meeting. It was, oh, we don't see a need for your team to be there. You guys can come if you want, but let us know if you want to to join up. And that was like, all right, like, are we that important? Like, we're the ones that are turning this project around in such a fast time. Like, we should be there for every detail. Yes. And... I was like, okay, like I talked to my two colleagues who were down there with me and I said, let's, I want to go to this meeting. I want to get there and meet them. They shared, we, we had the same attitude. And towards wh- where was the meeting supposed to be held? In Key Largo, 99 miles away. At, at a hotel? Or? At, a, at a house on a canal, which is where, what I thought one of the boats was being held. Okay. Go so, on. So we, we we were told, all right, if you guys want to come, here's the address, and we're going to see you there at 7.30 p.m. So to that, we said, all right, we'll leave at 5.30, take two hours to get there. Had they gotten you a rental car? We we did, and we it was going to get built back to them. Okay. So we had a rental car. Convertible? No. Oh. Go on. <laughs> it wasn't very fun. No, it was a Kia. Um, so we- They rent Jeeps there, you know. They do. I saw that. Okay. Go on. <laughs> So the three of us piled into a rental car and we drove 99 miles on a one-way road over seven-mile bridge um, all the way up to Key Largo. And, you know, this, like, butterfly feeling kicked in, like, 12 minutes out. And I was like, you know, we haven't – no one responded to us when we said we're coming. Just, like, what's it – like, none of us had any idea what we were stepping into. But – Again, I, I try to approach everything with a positive attitude and just say, oh, they're busy. They they have this and that. So right before we pulled in, the DP calls me and he's like, hey, Christian, it's yada, yada, yada. So our, our production trailer, which was some of the, the cast's equipment and the camera equipment, was T-boned. Where? On the drive down to Key Largo. From Texas? From Fort Lauderdale. Okay. And it was flipped. It flipped over. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. And he's like, yeah, like, I'm just like, I hope my FF7's all right. And I was like, oh, like, let me know how you make out. He's, I was like, is anyone still going to the, he's like, yeah, like the, the above the line will all be there. Everyone's going to be there. I just want to let you know, like, we'll be late. And I was like, okay. So I got there and there was like two people there that was ended up being cast, not even crew. So the production team rolls in as like, as we're rolling in. And we, we start meeting and greeting. And the second we get in like in the backyard of this canal beach house, like a camera's rolling on us walking in. What? what? 
A camera is rolling like there's a camera crew there, operating in the backyard? There was a single camera camcorder, Panasonic, rolling. And uh, I, I was just like, what's going on here? Like, no one advised me I was going to... I didn't sign a release. I didn't... And, you know, the, the director, writer, creator, producer was, was there and to greet us. And we met him. And that just kind of set me off like in like a weird kind of way. And I was like, okay, like I don't want to be in the show, but I'll talk to them about that later. Let it go. And so everyone starts piling in talking about this flipped over trailer. And it turns out one of the cast members was driving the production trailer or pulling the production trailer. The first question, the first thing I like, and the thing is that there was like a major name behind this project. And I just thought, why is a cast member or driving a, a, a car, a truck pulling a tr- production trailer? Right. There's a lot of lot of red flags being popped up at this point, I would imagine. It, it, yeah, this is where it starts the, the snowball. And I'm like, okay, like let that go too. And <laughs> so the lead editor takes the lead. Do you need a Xanax? I already had one today. For All the- right. So the lead editor starts picking the brain of the producer. He's visibly disheveled and just in a mess from the day. He the just lead editor a, or the producer? The producer, okay. because he's dealing with the flipped over trailer, shaking right. up crew. Okay. And so the producer seems like he's legit in a sense that this is he's trying to pull this together even though it's off the rails. Yes. He he had that we're gonna make, you know reality history type of attitude and uh you know it was a little reassuring at that time because it was like well you want to see someone kind of fighting for normalcy i mean i would want to see someone fighting for normalcy yes i want validation that our jobs being taken seriously and that they want us there absolutely we learned you know once we got there that the production manager was 22 years old and not that that's a bad thing but with a major network TV show, you wouldn't expect a 22-year-old who had mentioned they were right out of college running a production of this size with this budget. And I was like, oh, wow, like, that's a big task. And, uh, you know, I said, all right, like, I wish, like, in my head, like, I wish you the best, like, good luck, (laughs) because I could see that this is going to be a heavy-duty project. So we start picking the producer's brain about the next five weeks, and we're instantly filled in on they're no longer being two yachts. The crew yacht has been omitted from the show. This detail threw me off because that was my home for the next five weeks. So I asked the producer, are the cast and crew on the same boat now? And he said, yes. And I said, that's like 15 people. How many people does this boat sleep? Oh, 14. I was like, okay. I'm like, that's a major detail. 10 15 minutes after we had this conversation they left it was supposed to be like a three hour who left everyone the, the, above the line below the line cast they said we're turning in for the night and so there's no meeting no meeting because they're all shooken up from the events that had just transpired so the three of us say back to key west and we drove two hours back to key west how long were you actually at the canal house? Less than 30 minutes. Okay, go on. So 
we had a long conversation on the way back. Like, that was weird. Like, I was, who says the first thing in the car? Like, who says, what the heck is going on here? Who says that? I think it was me. So, so you're like... Because these two I was with had flights in two days back home. I was... Right. You were, uh, were going to be on the, on the bow of the boat sleeping outside. What was the premise of the show? Like, do you know what the premise was? It was like band members becoming best friends on a on a sail, on a yacht. It was scripted reality scripted for a major net ne- okay. for a major network. We're yes. not saying the Ooh. company that was nope something amazing would happen. To that, I said, "I'm not going on a fishing boat that sleeps eight for ten days." I thought we were getting on the yacht here, right? So, so they they were gonna put you instead of on a yacht. It was basically a fishing schooner, was, a fishing a, schooner. It was. And it only slept eight, and they had 15 people to house. More or less, yes. And to which I asked the captain, who who was sleeping where? He was said, his name Jack? No. And it was, uh, he said he's going to sleep on the back deck in a bean bag for 10 days. On a bean bag for 10 days. And I said, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that floats my boat. So I, uh, so we're back in the the drive on we're on the drive home, and I call my my direct contact boss and the, I say the post supervisor guy. I say I'm gonna fly and meet them in South Carolina. I'll just have to work like overnight to get you guys the footage from the last from the those ten days, which would be five days of filming, and I and I'll just work through the night and get it to you. And he said if you think you can do that, and I said I can, and he had no problem with it. So. That was like the first discrepancy. The next day, they say we're having a production meeting at 3 p.m. You guys should be here. In South Carolina. In Key Largo. <laughs> so it's, you know, nothing's different. It's 1 p.m. We get in the car. We drive the two hours to Key Largo. It is us and the producer. And he's like, ask away your questions. And this is very reassuring because. Our boss had conveyed to him that night that we were kind of like stricken yeah. with discomfort, uncomfort. Or fight. Yeah, and he didn't he didn't want us to feel that way, or so it seemed. And he said, "You have my attention for two hours, so let's let's get to the bottom of all your concerns." And I said, "Sure." He, I said, "All right." I typed up like thirty seven questions for him that I had not had answered until this point, and I said, "I want everyone answered." He said, "By all means." More or less everything I thought about this project was not what I thought about this, was not what was about to happen. And it was extremely unsettling. So what was what was the first question on your list? The first question on my list was, when does the fishing boat arrive in South Carolina? 10 days was the answer. The next question was, what is the situation with the yachts? Do we have one or two? Because I wanted to ask directly. I was told one. And then told a completely different story than the lead editor was told the night before. I acted okay with that. and But there were no yachts. It was a fishing boat. But sailing to the yachts in South Carolina. Oh, the yachts the were yacht. supposed to be... The yacht was supposed to be in South Carolina? Waiting for the production crew. So was the show not starting until South Carolina? I, I'm confused. It, it started in Florida. And it was like they had to earn being on a boat. Wow, okay. Yeah. It just got gets better. <laughs> um, I had to ask for a production book 10 times. 
And I asked for one right then and there, and I said, all right, we'll email you one. Still have yet to see it. Good. When that shows up, let's go through it. Actually, Sputnik got one. I did not. And uh, there were some very interesting things in there. Really? So you get this two-hour face-to-face with the producer. And like, does, like just on looks alone, like does the producer exude confidence and like reassurance or are you immediately looking at him going this whole thing is so fly by night that it's only being held up by a couple of toothpicks it the first half of the meeting was confidence and reassurance and and this is going to go great we're going to we're going to be syndicated for five seasons after this and it's just this is how kind of this is how things are on a pilot season and not working in television, I I don't need, I didn't even need to like know that that's probably not how things go. The second half of it was like cockiness. It was I own one of these boats, like I know what it's like. I don't actually like I'm just doing this to create more television. I wouldn't need to work another day if I didn't need to. And it was just like, like why would you talk to your crew like this, like? see eye to eye and be mutually respectful and just right it wasn't arrogant but it was near close okay so you have this meeting what happens when the meeting ends i had answers to all the 35 questions and and i felt better okay so you so your your plan at that point was that you were gonna not go on the fishing boat in key whatever key foobar (laughs) But you were going to fly instead to South Carolina and wait for the dailies to be handed to you and then start your task. Correct. And was the producer okay with that? He, he said, if you think you can get it done, you have my sign off on it. So the post supervisor signs off on it and the producer signs off Correct. on it. Correct. So you're now planning basically to get on a plane to go to South Carolina. Correct. And wait for them. Wait for them. Okay. So what happens there. next in your timeline? So three hours later, we're supposed to be at one of the first nights of shooting. It's where the cast got together in front of a group of people and did what they were going to do for the next few weeks to kind of get together and just see how their juju went. And they were going to record it. So I'm like, great. First night of work, I can take all seven cameras, offload, organize, and just practice. So I said, all right, great. This is going to be like a true way for us to see how the next five weeks are going to go. So I'm... I'm like, you know what? This is maybe it's not what it looks like. I'm just being a little paranoid because I'm in a different place with brand new people in my life. And, you know, yeah, it could just be nerves on your part. You're willing to, you know, put the doubt aside and put your faith in what they're telling you. Exactly. Okay. So we we left the meeting. We went and got a lunch. And so we go back to this canal house, which ended up actually being the captain of the fishing boats house house okay because the the fishing boat was parked out back there i got a tour and uh, after that i went back in and i set up my whole dit offload station and in the boat in the house oh in the house yeah and i just pulled up shop up pro didn't need massive because the lead editor was with me and i had his drives and i just said are they gonna film at the canal house yes they're filming like one of the events before like pre pre pre-boat that was going to make it into the first episode. Right, right. And and the camera guy that was there on the day that you showed up, he's one of the regular camera ops? 
he he's a DP out of North Carolina. He was very kind to us. He had he had some very similar concerns, which made me realize he was level headed. Um, and he, we were kind of like his shoulder, and we, he was our shoulder because he was with the producer a lot more than we were, and we wanted to see through his eyes. Like, yeah. what do you think? Yeah. Where do you, where do you see this being a problem? And uh, virtually the same type of concerns. So we're glad that we weren't the only ones. Um, so basically they started production and, uh, I was like, Hey, like start once your cameras are done, start handing me cards. There's like two drones and three, three tripod cameras and like two Sony GoPros. I call them Sony GoPros, the the FX zero or yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, all HD. So I'm like, all right. So I, I begin the offload. I have, you know, uh, a dual drive offload going from through shop pro from imagine products and. I have like four cards going at once and it's smooth. It's, you know, smooth sound. It kind of turned into like a party like atmosphere outside the house. And it wasn't until all of these guests at the event started working their way inside the house where I was working that I began to get uncomfortable. Like there was a lot of just like frat life style partying going on around me. And I'm in all the house. in the house. Like, Beers putting being put around my drives and and popping smoked right next to me and being handed like offered to me while I was working and listen I I think everyone should be able to kick back the way they want to but like I'm someone that truly believes in production being production and after production being after production absolutely there should always be boundaries in production that like when the day's over that's different and when you're not I just curious too like is there any COVID protocols being issued monitored or adhered to from the beginning of the first call i never heard anything about a covid test swab did you get your vaccine actually i was asked if i got vaccinated so excuse me that was by me though it was that's right (laughs) um but yeah uh it was a little nerve-wracking because for these last the last year i've been working things have always been put in place so nothing nothing about testing nothing about mask wearing or a plan for set or not not, no protocol basically i was not told anything okay all right the the cast yeah once these people started filling in the room around me i started to get extremely annoyed and aggravated because it pulls one your attention and two it's just uncomfortable you don't want people blowing pot smoke and spilling a beer on you know a thousand dollar hard drive it's just it's it's just no you know better and uh, I kind of asked people to shimmy back away. And, and uh, you know, it just made me really uncomfortable. And I said, that's when the doubts, the second thought for real was like, maybe I shouldn't do this. Because if this is how it's going to be, once we go on the yacht, then forget it. I can't work in this atmosphere. And, and I mean, was the producer a participant in this behavior? He was. He was. So yeah. that's really alarming. Yeah, I didn't like it. He And then... While I was working, he tried to get my attention and he kept calling me editor after a two hour meeting with him. And it's like three hours later, you forget my name when I'm doing such a vital role to your production that you so desperately want to make a reality. It was, you know, it was a little like this is juvenile. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, like, you're not taking this seriously. So like, why should I stick around? Um, So I, again, I tried shaking it off. And I was like, let me just get this done. Like, I want to say 75% through the way of offloading my my colleague, friend, 
came in Sputnik and he's like, Hey, like I'm off. Like I'm not doing this. I'm oh, like, what? Okay. He, he said it in way more of a panicky way. I'm like, what, what's wrong? Talk to me. Like take a deep breath. Like what's going on? He's like, there's no way there's money here. There, this is just like a party for people who want to blow some money that's not theirs. And it's just, something's not right. And I was like, tell me. So this production manager that I had mentioned basically started airing her grievances to Sputnik about what was going on in her perspective. She's been on for 10 weeks at this point, promised a hearty salary and hasn't seen a dime. And that's a huge red flag to me when you're promised a lot of money and you see none of it 10 weeks in. So that was number one. Number two was there was nothing passed down from to her from her superiors, the producers, the writers, directors, the, you know, contacts at the network, nothing. Just, you know, bare, bare minimum, nothing, giving nothing to do her job. Again, with a, such a major production, you would expect them to hold some type of level of quality in the behind yeah. the scenes stuff. Yeah. The sound assistant not the sound recordist themselves but the sound assistant had just been she was no more than 23 and just moved to atlanta area to do this or just moved to atlanta then got hired to do this and was told the night before production began after being on for four weeks that she wasn't going to see a dime until june the end of june and i'm like that's two strikes in the money one the finances of the show yeah. that I do not like. And then I'll say it verbatim. The production manager said, and the worst part of this whole thing is the sexual harassment. And I just said, okay, I'm done. I've heard enough. So you've, you made a decision at that point that you're going to bail out. It came to a point where it's like, how much do I need to hear that I'm not comfortable with? To stick around. Right. So so what do you do? What's your first move when you've made this realization? Yeah, I finished the job I started. So I went back to the hard drives and made sure they were offloaded. And uh, I uh so I had flown down with the drives that the production company bought. So I made sure to re- give them to the DP and to hold on to. And being that I wasn't the contact for the production, I wasn't gonna be the one to tell the producer. Okay, so I'm, you you called your post supervisor, yeah, I did, who hired you basically, and said, "Hey, I'm off." Because, like I said, he told us, "Let us like if you have any like red more like." Because I had invented him earlier, and I said, "Like here's what I'm not comfortable with." He said, "All right, if you feel the same way in the next 24 hours, tell me, and I'll support you." So you you wrap the day, you yep. offload all your cards, you turn in the drives, and then you call your post supervisor. In the car? In the car. And you say what? I say, listen, now is twice as bad as it was 24 hours ago. Right. And I say, here's, I listed everything after him just the way right. I, in more detail and yep. more, more dialogue, but I said, we're not comfortable. Right. We don't want to be put in this position and right. we don't want to be involved. And you're with, speaking for you and your, your backup. Yep. And my backup, my, my colleague. Yep. And, uh, I go, I don't, this isn't. But you're in the car with the lead editor, right? As well. 
Yeah. So did did you tell the lead editor before you got in the car, or is he hearing this for the first time that you're now backing out? He was standing with Sputnik when the production manager was airing these grievances, and they okay. shared the same attitude towards it. So was he going to walk as well? Yep. You basically all agreed that you were all walking at the same time. We all agreed. And part of it, the reason we were allowed to, is because the producer hadn't given our post-supervisor a production contract for 24 hours before production. It was a curse and a blessing. So I said, I'm not comfortable, and I'm not going to ask my friend and colleague to do this. And what was the reaction? I support you guys. That was and I was like, thank, thank you. And uh, he drummed up a, a message to the producer and he said, my guys aren't comfortable. There's a lot of red flags in their eyes here and I'm sorry I'm not there, but I stand by them. And he said, uh, okay. He said, did you leave them their, their equipment that they bought? And I said, absolutely. The producer's response to him was, okay, do we have our hard drives? Which, not even like a why or a yeah. what was it that... That is like a red flag in itself to me too. Have you, did you like uh, make connections with like the production manager? Like have you been able to follow up with her? Is she staying on the job or she bailed out as production going forward or? She, she had called and because we're on the phone with our supervisor, we didn't answer, but we had conversed with her over text that night and we weighed our opinion on what she was going through. Yeah. And we said, but virtually you don't need to go through that. And there's that's there's no place for that to stay in production. So, if you if you feel like you need to leave, you should leave. Yeah. And to that, she said, "Thank you, like very much. I really appreciate your kind words." And I think she's still there. Oh, really? I think she stuck around, and uh, they commenced with production. They did as scheduled. Wow. There's no amount of money or exposure to me that's worth being put in an uncomfortable position, flat out. I don't know what the arrangements were, but I mean, did you cover, did you, did you get paid for anything? So the next, I waited until the next day to talk about this stuff because I, I, I was like, my nerves were just like yeah, absolutely. exhausted. Like I had so much stress coursing through my body and it was just, you know, I'd be fine walking away with it out of pocket. So the next day I just asked the producer, I said, listen, I, none of us are making money. Um, but let's like, can you cover the expenses of this trip? And he was like, absolutely. So you, you're talking about the post supervisor, the post, not, not the producer. So yeah, the post, the post supervisor said, absolutely. I can cover the expenses of this trip. And, uh, I'm still a little uncertain. So is the post supervisor still involved with the show? No, he, he walked away with his team because we were the guys that were going to get it done. And so he basically, you tell him, hey, all the guys on the ground are bailing from the post side, the editor, you, and your backup. And he said, okay, I'm out too, basically. Right, because he was overseeing us. Yeah. And yeah. without us, there's no post team. So he, I guess the, you know, the concerns were heavy enough for him to. Right. So he agreed basically to cover your out-of-pocket expenses. But no day rates, no no anything like that. I I paid Sputnik out of pocket because I you felt obligated. I felt obligated. That's as a friend and a that's, colleague. That's respectful. So 
Do you see things now that you didn't see earlier in the process or were you basically still thinking it was going to happen up until, you know, the 11th hour? The initial agreement with the production company should have been a a red flag from the get-go. The lack of? The lack of communication, the lack of paperwork. Nothing was in writing and it was large sums of money for large sums of work. And in such a short time, we should have had things in writing. We should have been given a schedule, locations, and communicated virtually everything that we needed to know. And had we been, maybe it would have been a lot better. But Now, do you look at the, the gentleman who brought you in and say, hey, you know, you kind of steered me down a bad path? No. No, I don't because his message, because his response to the producer was my guys are uncomfortable and I support that. Had he been like, no, it's not a big deal. What you're saying. I don't agree with you. He just took what I said at its face value and he took what I said and he trusted my, my opinion and he supported us. And that's all I really needed to hear from him to understand his, his, you know, his quality of a producer and colleague. And I don't judge people and I'm not saying anything about your desire to take on a job or like anything like that. Even, even this uh, post supervisor guy. But when I look at it from the outside and again, I'm a lot older than you. So I've, yeah. I've had, I've had my share of way worse experiences than you did. And I, I've lost way more money out of pocket than you probably have suffered. And those things stay with you. But the first red flag for me, and I expressed this to you, was when the gentleman who was the post supervisor, your contact, um, was hired to be the post supervisor. Because that gentleman had no post supervision experience, especially on a reality show. Correct. So in my mind, I was like, well, why would a major outlet reality show with a very intense schedule hire a post supervisor with zero track record as a post supervisor? So that was the first red flag to me. And I think, you know, I expressed that to you. And again, I am not judging or anything I'm just stating sort of the things that I saw as um, where my little radar went up. You know, I get it. Like sometimes you want to step above your weight class, you know, to do something. But there are steps and then there's leaps. And if you've not been a post supervisor on a show, an episodic show, I don't think you should be throwing your hat in for the first time on such a job. You have to work your way through it. You have to have some experience with it. So even going back to the production company, what production company in their right mind would hire a post supervisor for what is probably the most important role on the production aside from the producer? Why would you trust that to someone with no experience? someone who's desperate again 
does not add up. So it, it didn't, and it, that, I only see that in the hindsight. Yeah, absolutely. But but as they say, hindsight's twenty twenty. And the best thing that could happen for you now is that your eyes have sort of been opened a little wider, and you will now at least ask more questions the next time around. And and if that's the price of a few days of your time, it's money well spent. Yep. Believe me. Um, you know, you did everything right. I mean, I think it was, you know, commendable the way you handled yourself. And I would not try to put someone in a position, like anyone who I've hired as a sub, like I wouldn't put them in a situation that I myself would not want to be in. And I don't think he did enough to sort of protect you as his hire. And I take some umbrage with that, but you know this is this is life in in the COVID era. This is life when people are making decisions maybe based on money and not necessarily what is going to work for the production. I think that because our our bid as a team just got okayed right off the bat, it was like we can do this, and who knows? We might have been fully able to do it. We might have failed. But uh, at the time, it just seemed like, for all of us, maybe even myself, you know, I'm not going to say I'm I'm perfect, but uh, we we might have just been more excited for a high high value job in in a post COVID world that was willing to just say okay to a first bid. I mean, what what I know from a couple of the independent films that I worked on in my younger days is that you need to prop up the importance and the scope of the film or the project in order to attract the people you want to attract. And I think it's very easy to say almost anything. Oh, we're in talks with HBO. Oh, we're in talks with, you know, uh, New Line. We're in talks with whoever. And these things sound great and when you're when you want something right you maybe overlook some of the fact checking in summarizing your experience like what have you come away from as far as a life lesson or something that is just sticking with you that you know you're you're gonna take forward so there's a bunch but i'll i'll get it down to three and it's see through see through to getting all the details ask questions that you want the answers to early, up front up front yep and in the end trust your gut that's it shout out lulita for that one but trust your gut if you, if something doesn't feel right or you're uncomfortable you shouldn't have to work in a in a system you shouldn't have to work in an environment or production that makes you uncomfortable or nervous or scared. And if your your body tells you otherwise, trust it. Yeah, if it doesn't smell right, something's you know definitely wrong. So for sure, those are good life lessons. And like I said, I've had plenty of bad experiences. the The best thing that you can do is not repeat your mistakes. You know, don't get down that road again because then it's on you. Yep, I agree. Yeah, but I mean, I'm glad that you've 
come out fairly unscathed. I was a little worried for you. I, I was a little worried, and uh, I'm glad that you know, for the most part. I mean, you may have given up a couple days, but you were in Key West. So how bad could it have been? Exactly. Christian, Solid. cheers. That's a wrap on this week in production. We'll see you next time. Do you have something to say? Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on This Week in Production. Thanks for listening. <laughs>